you could be seated. Uh, so good to be here with my Emerge family, and hello to um, our Emerge family in Morayfield and Redcliffe. Um, my name's Shane, and I get to open the Bible today, and uh, I take that really seriously. Anytime I do that, I want Jesus to get bigger, the cross to work better, the resurrection to be central in scriptures to get bigger, not smaller. I hope that's your experience in Morayfield and Redcliffe, and of course here in, in Warner uh, today. A couple things before we get going. It's so good to be with my Emerge family. Pastor Mark and Nina, from the, I think the first year they came here, they started having me, and then we just been journeying ever since, and you guys are truly family to me. When I come and speak, I don't feel like a guest that's coming in and, and wrestling through to use their energy. I always want to use my energy to sort of partner with the heart of the house and, and where God might be taking us. And so I'm, I'm honored to be here with Mark and Nina and, and the team. A couple things before we get going after this is over. Um, at the back there, we have a resource table set up. In Morayfield, there'll be a resource table um, at the back of that room as well. And if, if you folks at Redcliffe, I don't want you to feel like you missed out. You can always go online. Or um, my second announcement is this, is that I'd like to give everybody a heartfelt invitation back to tonight, 530 at Warner. If you know me, and most of you do, I always set the most special the most special message away uh, for the Sunday night message. The reason is that I can invite everybody in the morning back, and uh, and then people who come at night anyway, they just they they just come. So wherever, it, uh, trust me, if you're in Morayfield, it'd be worth the 25 minute drive. If you're in Redcliffe, it'd be worth the 20 minute drive uh, to come be in the room for an hour and 15 minutes tonight. I promise you, it'll change the way you look at God. It'll change your life. If it doesn't, I'll personally out of my own pocket refund whatever they charge you for tickets to come. All right. So whatever that is. You come on, come on back tonight, and the resource table will be there. Um, all of our stuff is available audio and video in USBs. Um, we do make money from that, um, but the reason we do is because we live with the conviction that we're not simply called to go to heaven when we die. We're called to bring heaven to every place we see hell here. And so um, we use the profit from that to fund our missions in the world, which for us are three children's homes in China that look after children with mental disabilities, two in Yang, one in Changsha. We also work with, the, uh, with an organization in Cape Town that works with the Cape Town government as a viable diversion option to polls more prison. Uh, we, we find it inappropriate and actually disgusting to tell women you shouldn't sell your body if that's your only option to make money. That's a moral platitude. What we need to do is invade their life with compassion and resources and training and, and that kind of thing. The, the theological word for that is resurrection. Resurrection is when you invade someone's today with the idea that your today is not simply a repeat. Your tomorrow is not simply a repeat of yesterday because you don't know what God might do to your today. And so um, since the last time I was here, there's five brand new ones. I've, I've just spoke through the entire book of Romans. Um, that's back there. Also, I did a whole thing on the life of David and what it shows us about faith formation. Uh, that's back there. Uh, I did a six-hour short course on how to approach the Bible better. Look, if the, Bible, if the book that's supposed to reveal the story of Christ is actually the thing getting in the way of people's faith in Christ, that's not good. And it's not the Bible's fault. It's our fault for how we're approaching it. And so um, Pastor Wayne Alcorn had me come do that at Hope Center, and they, they filmed it, and it came off so well, they graciously gave me the footage. So it's, it's back there as well. Also did an 11-part thing on sex and sexuality. This is going to sound like I'm making a joke, but my master's degree is in sex, okay? That's true. I'm a theoretical expert, right? In theory, I'm the best, right? In practice, pretty much crap. But in theory... 
In theory, I'm, I'm the best. Uh, so, spoiler alert, um, there's nothing in that series about actual sex, okay? Somebody picked it up one time and said, how do you talk for 11 sessions on this? I'm like, well, it's not a technique manual, right? That would be ridiculous and four minutes long. It's an 11-part series on how to think about that topic in a more reasonable way. Anyway, there's all kinds of stuff back there. Um, let me put something in your hands that will change the way you look at God. You put something in our hands that helps us feed, close, shelter, educate many handicapped kids. I, I think it's a really, really good thing. And for everybody in Morayfield and Redcliffe, um, we will see you. Uh, tonight at 5.30. I can't wait to share the word tonight again. And so I want to talk to you about how to fulfill your potential. Um, if, you, if you're the type that can only listen to the first three minutes of a message and then you tune in for the last three minutes, this is your moment, okay? So what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to summarize the whole message in, in, in the first three minutes and then we're going we're gonna to flesh it out through the course of the entire um, rest of, of, of the message. I, th I think fulfilling your potential comes down two, three things. It's to acknowledge the anointing, to honor the holy, and to commit to repentance. Now, if you hear those three words, anointing, holy, and repentance, and you're thinking, oh, what a drag, like, man, a super spiritual sort of thing about getting my life right. I, actually, I'm going to just ask you to give me a few minutes here, and I think I can restore some of the beauty of these words. I, I really, I really pay attention in myself when words start to annoy me, especially when they're good words. Like when somebody asks me, are you a Pentecostal? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And I keep my face right straight. I don't, I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because I don't know what they think a Pentecostal is. And so I'll always go, what do you think that is? And you wouldn't believe, or I even do it with Christian. If somebody says to me, are you a Christian? I'm really disciplined about this. I always go, I don't know. Which is disorienting, because if, if somebody asks you a yes or no question and you don't say yes or no, that's confusing. Like if I say, would you like a Coke or a coffee? And you go, exactly. Well, that's weird, right? You're like, oh, that's disorientating, right? So if someone says, are you a Christian? I always just go, I don't know. I don't have any idea if I'm a Christian. I just wait. They always say the same thing. Like, it's, what do you mean you don't know? That's a yes or no question. I'm like, I, it's not a yes or no question because I don't know what you think a Christian is. And so why don't you tell me what you think a Christian is and then I'll tell you. And I started to journal things that non-Christian people think Christians are. And let me be clear, it's our fault that they think this because we've let ourselves be known for things that we ain't supposed to be known for. Here are real ones. Aren't Christians the climate science deniers? Do we want to be known for that? Like, look, have whatever opinion you want about climate. Put it on a flag if you want to. Just make it a little toothpick flag. Let the main flag be our belief in Jesus as evidenced by our love for our world. Like, these are real ones. Aren't Christians the anti-sex people? Are we anti-sex? Like, and even if we were, do we want to be known as that? Like, seriously, have whatever sexual convictions you want. Just and put on a flag, I guess, just a little toothpick flag. Let the main flag be our belief in Jesus as evidenced by our love for our world. Or aren't Christians Republican? That's an American one. Aren't they the Democrats? Aren't they the labor? Look, if you'd rather be known for your political affiliation than your belief in Jesus as evidenced by your love for your world, I think we've missed the point. The, the worst one is, aren't Christians the one who can't wait for the world to end? Like, is that what we want to be known for? Our amateur predictions of doom? Are you serious? Look, 
Christians shouldn't be known for any of that. They shouldn't be known for their climate opinion, their sex opinion, their health opinion, their political opinion. They certainly shouldn't be known for their amateur predictions of doom. We shouldn't even be known for our opinions about everything in the Bible. That's not what we're supposed to be. Have, have conviction about all of it. But it's possible to have something and not be known for that something. It's called humility. We're supposed to be known for our belief in Jesus as evidenced by our love for our world. And so I started paying attention. I, I started to hate the word anointing, which is bad because it's a good word, right? So when I start hating a word that's beautiful, I start thinking, well, why is that? And here's what I realized. The word anointing, just like the word Christian or just like the word judge or just like the word righteous, words matter less than how we picture words working. And so all you got to do to ruin a word is make it mean everything or attach toxic images to it. That's how you ruin good words. And so anointing in church circles became synonymous with things I like. Like, let me give you an example, right? Like, man, that song was so anointed, right? Let me translate that. I like the song, right? That's all that means. I like the song, right? Or, man, there was no anointing on that song today. Let me translate that. I didn't like the song, right? It's so anointing or God, Jesus, they, these things become just synonyms for my highest preference. And then that's one step away from things I don't like being called wicked. But most things we don't like are just things we don't like. They're not wicked. They're just things we don't like. Like, for instance, I just did a whole Western rural tour of Queensland. I spoke from everywhere, from Charters Towers to Chinchilla and all in between, okay? And, and let me tell you what I don't like. I don't like 60K an hour speed limits. I don't like them. But they're not wicked. They're just, I don't like them. i tell you what else I don't like. I don't like decorative pillows in hotel rooms. That's disgusting. They don't change the outside of them. I hate them. Well, they're not wicked. They are disgusting. Anytime I come into a hotel, there's a decorative pillow. I'm like, I pick it up from the corner and just put it over there. Why? Because you just know some naked trucker somewhere has used it as his leg pillow. You know? Like, all right. Everybody getting that image right there, right? It's not it's wicked, right? And so I thought to myself, well... I need to restore the beauty of these three words. And so to fulfill your potential really comes down to three things. Acknowledging the anointing, honoring the holy, and committing to repentance. So you give me a few minutes, I think I can make these words uh, restore the beauty of them if they've lost their beauty uh, to you. This is 1 Samuel 14. Um, I could have chosen a lot of different passages, um, but this is the anointing of a guy named David. And, and here, here's what it says. And the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen um, one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, well, how can I go if Saul hears about it? He'll kill me, which leads to all kinds of questions like Saul and Samuel were friends. Like, what's going on in Israel that this guy that used to be a friend is scared of not just rejection, he's scared of death. Like, what's happening here? And, and, watch, wait, and the Lord said, take a heifer with you. That's a great line, by the way. So just take a heifer with you. Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. You're to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Well, so Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. And they said, do you come in peace? What is going on in Israel that everybody's scared of everybody else? That's crazy stuff. What's happening 
here. Well, Samuel replies, well, of course I come in peace. I, I come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed standing before me. So he's like, okay, there's that word anointed there. This is the person. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his, do not consider his height or appearance, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at things the people look at. People look on outward appearances, but the Lord looks on the heart. So the Lord, so he asked Jesse, well, are, are these all of your sons that you have? Well, they're still the youngest. He's tending sheep. He's, he said, well, send for him. He's, he, well, we won't sit down until he arrives. And so he sent for him and had him brought in. And he, he was glowing with health and, 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 had, and had fine appearance and handsome features, which is kind of strange. Just keep in mind, David was king when this was being written, and he would have had veto power. He'd be like, put in there that I'm good looking, right? <laughs> then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of the brothers. And, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David, and Samuel went with him to Ramah. So this is 1 Samuel 14. This is uh, the anointing. This is uh, the anointing of David. Now, I have a couple questions uh, about this. Um, one, how does a person anointed like Saul end up so missing it so badly? Like, like what first, what is anointing? Like, what does that even mean? And, and secondly, is it for me? And third, what does it even do? Right? So let's talk about the concept of, of anointing for a second. Anointing was the idea of being empowered by God to do something. It's something you can't do in your own strength. It's empowered by God to do something. And, and the best way, I think, to understand anointing is the, 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 is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is given to everybody, and that empowers people to do it. And, and the best way to explain the Holy Spirit, I think, is just this. I want everybody to take a deep breath. That's the anointing. The anointing is you've been given 24-hour gift of God's breath today. And what you do with that gift of God's breath is up to you. Now, in the Old Testament, the concept was anointing was only for kings, certain priests, certain prophets. Just think about it this way, the elite people. Uh, Jesus changed the paradigm and said, no, 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 no. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is not just for the elite people. It's actually for anyone, anywhere who wants it. It's never who is worth it. It's always who wants it, right? And so the, the, the question is, is what, what you find in this story is, is that Saul and David were anointed by the same guy with the same horn, with the same oil, by the same prophet, by the same God. And one, end of, one of them ended up missing it really bad. And the other one ended up, despite making a bunch of mistakes, fulfilling their potential. Now, how does someone who, who was anointed like Saul end up missing it so badly? And the answer is gradually. No one tends to ruin their life in one moment. If we're honest, we were on that road for a very long time. And then at the end of the day, that's, it's, it's sort of like this. Depending on how far out your goal is, determines how important today is, right? So let me give you an example. So if you're sitting in Moreyfield right now, you're sitting in Redcliffe right now, and you're engaged in this, and you're like, okay, tell me about this. So, um, so here's the thing, right? If your only goal is to make it to the end of today alive, well, you can do almost anything you want that doesn't kill you. 
but that shouldn't be most of our goals. Most of our goals should be in five years, I want to be a person of respect and honor, and I want my name to mean something. I want my children to respect me. I, I want my neighbors to see me as a person of love. I want to be a fully devoted, right? So if, if that's our goal, however far out the goal is, and this is something Paul says, he says, actually, the goal should be at the end of the day to know you've kept the faith and finished the race, right? This So as far out as the goal is determines how important today is. Let me give you an example. If you go to Brisbane Airport and you get on a plane heading to Sydney and you're one degree off course, that's not a big deal. You'll just end up in Wollongong, right? But if you get on an airplane in Brisbane heading to LA and you're one degree off course, that's no big deal at the beginning, but at the destination, you're gonna be in Mexico. It's the wrong country. In other words, however small the rationalization is today, held to it in the long term creates a totally different person out there. And so what you'll find in our life and what Saul found in his life is it was the small rationalizations on a daily basis that ended up getting him to where he did not want to, to, to be. You, the, the, the intention of living within intentionality. It's like, wait a minute, I won't rationalize this. It's just a small thing, but at some point that gets me to a big problem. It's just one more donut. It's just one more beer. It's just one more piece of cake. It's just one more frivolous purchase. It's just a shirt. Yes, but just a shirt over a long period of time makes a huge difference. This is why 19-year-olds, um, 19-year-olds today, according to Forbes magazine, 19-year-olds today have more money available to them in the bank than the previous four generations before them combined had at the same age, right? And you know that to be true. All you got to do is talk to them. These people spend $5 a cup for a cup of coffee, okay? These people have money, right? And, and, all, and all you got to do is talk to them and ask them, hey, what's your plan? A 19-year-old with a straight face will go, I'm thinking about taking a year off and walking around Europe to find myself. Who's got that kind of money? Evidently they do. Um, look, if you're over 40, right? Could you imagine telling your dad you were gonna take a year off to find yourself? <laughs> your dad would have been like, oh look, there you are. I have found you. Get a job, right? Now, is it, is it wrong to walk around Europe for a year? No, but, but certainly if your goal is to have money in your 60s, it certainly sabotages it. Like you, you're, you're, you're giving away seven doubles of the principal income and investment. I guess that's a lot. Like if, if, if your trip costs 10 grand, well that, and you go, and you're 19, you go to 65, it's 20, 40, 80, 160, 320, 640, 1.2 million. Um, I hope you like the trip. See the, the, see, the idea is that the small decisions you make today make a big thing t tomorrow. See, the, one of the things that this story really challenges us with is that anointing can be stewarded or it can be squandered. Same anointing, same anointers, same prophet, same horn, same oil, same God. One squandered their anointing and one stewarded their anointing. Which leads me to this question. It's not just about acknowledging the anointing, it's will we honor the holy and steward it? Which leads me to the word holy. Like if I was to say, okay, I wanna to talk to you this morning about the word holy, 
right? It's like, what, are you trying to kill a party? Like, that's, that's boring. Hang on, give me a second. That's because in our imagination of how the word holy works, it's all about abstaining from bad things. And most of those bad things are boring anyway. So, that, so you take a boring concept and talk about abstaining from boring things. It's like, well, that's by definition boring. But the word holy has nothing to do with abstaining from bad things, although we should abstain from things that belong to death. The word holy in its etymology was simply this. God set you apart by trusting you with his breath. Anything God trusted with his breath was set apart as holy. This is why if you're old enough to remember actual Bibles, right? So like, like the, 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 leather, the leather Bibles that most people used to have, right? It's, if, if you look on the binder of the Bible, what does it say? Bible? No, it says holy Bible. Why? Well, because evidently God has trusted these stories or these collections of books with his breath. And anything God trusts with his breath is inspired. That's the, literally the word inspired. And anything God trusted with his breath is inspired, and anything that's inspired is holy. This is why the first thing God breathed upon was dirt. And what happened? Us. We are inspired dirt. We are what happens when God trusts us with his breath. And if we're inspired dirt, what does that make us? It makes us holy dirt. And if we're holy dirt, what does that make us? It makes us holy ground. Sometimes we're looking for the next special piece of holy ground, but we're looking too far. It's You are the holy ground. As one later writer said, let your life be the epistle for all to read. In a world where he never thought Bibles would be mass produced. You know, in the 300s, it took three years wages to make one Bible. Three years wages. This is why most people came to Christ. Christ on the Sermon on the Mount, right? Because they didn't have the technology to mass produce entire, in, entire Bibles. It's, holiness is essentially this, if you just got lost in that. Here's what it is, ready? In one sentence. God has trusted you with his breath today. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to live your life in light of God's anointing or God's power over your life? They, they had a prayer. And they prayed it all the time in the ancient world. They still pray it today. And you're going to recognize it immediately because a guy named Jesus made it famous, right? Here was their prayer. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name was a prayer every morning of commitment to use the gift of God's breath to its full potential today. It was that. So, so let's go to the Lord's Prayer just for a second, right? My Father who is in heaven, I don't have time to exegete the whole thing. Just trust me, it's a terrible translation. Here's what it says. My Father who's the giver of the gift of air that I breathe, or my father who's as close to me as the air that I breathe, hallowed be your name. In other words, if you wanna really live, here it is, ready? My father who's given me the anointing of the gift of his breath today, I commit my life today to fulfilling the full possibilities and potentials that that gift of God's breath brings. It's that. Now, the opposite of that was called profaning the name. So your choice was you could hallow the name or you could profane the name. Profane the name doesn't mean to do bad things. It could mean doing nothing. It could mean taking five hours of the 24-hour gift of God's breath on our life and taking five of those hours to watch nine-second videos of cats doing handstands. It could be that. It's not wrong. It's just profane. Profane meant to take something that's sacred and treat it as if it's common, or literally to waste your breath. How do you fulfill your potential? Well, you acknowledge the breath on your life. 
and then you choose to hallow that. You choose to go wake up every morning and go, you know what? I got 24-hour gift of God's breath, and I'm going to make mistakes along the way, but I will not die being idle, profaning God's name. I will live my life today fulfilling the full possibilities and potentials that that gift of God's breath brings. In this story, Saul squandered his anointing. David stewarded it. The issue is never who God likes and who God doesn't like or who God touches and who God doesn't touch. The issue is, is what do we do with the gift of God's breath that he's put on our life? What do we do with it? How do you succeed? Well, you acknowledge the anointing, that the gift of God's breath is on me. But then it takes a step further. We choose to hallow that breath. We commit our life every day to fulfilling the full possibility. And the truth of it is, is one of the repenting moments that we might need to do today is for idleness. We, we tend to focus on idolatry, and yeah, let's not. But actually, idleness is a bigger sin in the Western world. It's wasting our breath and then wondering why we're depressed. I, I was talking to a, uh, a young girl the other day, she's probably 16, with her mother. They, they were in the back of a, of a church, and she'd been struggling with depression. And I, I, I do have my credentials in clinical psychology, but I do not want to practice therapy. I just irresponsible, I leave. So, but I did say, okay, look, um, tell me about your life. And she was spending, seriously, she was spending five hours a day on TikTok and Instagram. Look, you can't take five hours of the 24-hour gift of God's breath watching short videos of nonsense and expect not to be depressed. Of course you're going to be depressed. There's more to life. See, Saul became self-centered. He became self-confident. Let's say it this way. God rejected Saul because Saul rejected him. What you also see in the story, just as an aside, is that leaders who fail to submit to God as king will often use fear to solidify themselves. Samuel's terrified of him. Anytime a leader needs to make everybody afraid of them to keep their position, they've stepped out of hallowing the holy or honoring the holy. Because Christians are called to steward power differently. What we also learn in this story is that God looks at little acts of faithfulness, not size, strength, and power. David was least in stature, age, and preference. He wasn't even considered. And why does the Bible point out that he was of fine appearance, despite, you know, my joke there? I, 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 it's a literary device. In the ancient Near East, he was an ancient Near Eastern shepherd with no sunscreen. He would have looked incredibly rustic. So for the Bible to say, actually, he was of fine appearance was a literary way of saying, you know what, you're in the wrong spot. People who look like you have more on their life than what you're doing. You're not fulfilling your full potential. Sometimes we settle in places that they're not wrong, they're just not wise, they're not full. And I think in, for all of us here and in Morayfield and in Redcliffe, we need to stop and at least ask the question. If we're not willing to ask the question, we're going to stagnate our growth. Am I hallowing the name? Have I acknowledged the anointing and honored the holy? Or have I settled for something in the name of it not being wrong, although I know and you know that there's something inside of me that tells me there's more. There's something inside of me that says I could be doing more for God. You know, sometimes when I'm around people, some people, without trying, they just make me want to do more for God, right? They just, like, when, when I've been around, when I've had meals with Clark Taylor, for instance, or Bruce Monk, um, these, are, these are leaders in, in the church in the world. And when I'm around Bruce Monk, for instance, he, he's the guy that, that started Equippers, and now his son Sam runs it. But when I'm around Bruce... Bruce just kind of without trying, when I walk away from him, I always walk away with the thought, I should be doing more. 
There's something about my breath that is yet untapped and yet unused. And these, these people are really important to our lives because they remind us that it's not about right and wrong. It's about your full potential. Let, let's say it this way. Um, in, in the ancient Near East, the greatest compliment was to be smeared heavily with God's presence. It's the same today, but with different words. Like I would encourage everybody never to tell someone, boy, are you smeared heavily with God's presence. That'd be weird, right? But, but we use... But we use that, we might say, gee, you're fulfilling your potential. Boy, you make that gift look easy. Man, do you, hey, hey, did you, did you really step into something powerful there? We don't tend to remember the talented. King Herod was the greatest builder of all time, perhaps. We do remember people who steward their anointing. We remember people, even if it's a small thing, if it's a full use of their breath, there's something about that that's inspiring. You take someone that has a health struggle, but in spite of that health struggle, they, they, they actually fulfill and use their breath to their full potential. Those people inspire us more than people who have great gifts and squander them. You don't tend to remember the talented. You remember people who, who use their anointing well. Let, let's talk about that word anointing. See, we tend to limit anointing to vocational ministry or worse things I like, right? We tend to limit the anointing to vocational ministry. But in this story, David was not anointed for vocational ministry. He was anointed for leadership, politics, protection, and I would dare say songwriting. Let's say it this way. God anoints everyone that wants to fulfill their potential in this one great life regardless of the arena. Let, let, let's, let's pause and ask a few questions uh, about this. Um, Are we stewarding the presence or are we squandering it? No indictment. There's a big log in my eye, okay? Jesus said, if you want to change your world, you got to see yourself as the plank and them as the speck, right? Christians, unfortunately, have reversed that. It sounds like this. You know what? We Christians are flawed, but you're really flawed. That doesn't work. I have a big plank in my eye, all right? No indictment. Just ask the question. Are we stewarding the presence or squandering it? What is the anointing? It's the gift of God's presence resting on you. And in the Old Testament, the concept was only for priests, prophets, kings, and temples. But Jesus changed it to anyone, anywhere that wants it. God's willing to empower you to change your world, to live to the full. See, we tend to forget about Saul, but we honor David. Why? Perfection? I think not. I think I could make a case that David made more mistakes than Saul. Like, it's not perfection. It's definitely not mistakes. It's actually someone who made mistakes along the way but never lost sight that what they were living for was bigger. My breath has something in it that is, 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 is supposed to make something happen that's beyond me. Saul lived as if his next day was just what was particularly his envy and his anger. He just lived like that. See, stewarding the anointing really is a matter of two things intention to live life to the full, and repentance from straying from the path. Let's talk about intention for a second. There's an old rabbi teaching. It existed 300 years before Jesus, um, but Jesus made it famous. And so you'll recognize it really quick. And it's about the role of intention. Essentially, the teaching was, if you live life on accident, failure will be a normal part of your experience. Because people who win at life, their yes is clear, and then their yes is what determines what their no say, right? In, in other words, you don't have to intend to be broke. You just have to have no financial plan, and brokenness will overtake you. 
You don't have to intend to be unfit. You just have to have no intention to be fit, and unfitness will definitely overtake you. Right? It's that. And here was the old rabbi teaching. You'll recognize it e immediately. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. And lots of people find themselves on that road. Narrow is the way that leads to life. And unfortunately, only a few people have what it takes to be on that path. Now, that, that story has nothing to do with heaven or hell or the afterlife or any of that stuff. It's an old rabbinical way of saying, if you really want to get where you want to go in life, you have to be so intentional that your clear yes determines everything you have to say no to. You don't have to intend to be a bad dad. You just have to have no intention of being a good dad and bad dad behaviors overtake you. You don't have to intend to be a bad mom. You just have to have no intention of being a good mom and bad mom behaviors will overtake you. You don't have to intend to be a bad spouse. You just have to have no intention of acting like good spouses act and those bad spouse behaviors will overtake you. You don't have to intend to be broke. You just have to have no financial plan and broke behaviors will overtake you. You don't have to be, intend to be unfit. You have to have no fitness plan and, and unfitness will overtake you. It's this, it's the, the role of living intentionally and then the bravery to repent when we stray from the path. And it's much easier to make small micro adjustments along the way than to wait till we've ruined everything and have to turn totally around. Both are repentant. Both are. Let's say it this way. David was anointed for years before he was appointed. We live in a world striving for appointment, but appointment without anointing will lead to a squandered life. Because those who walk in the present seek deeper meaning than just appointment. They actually want to change their world. See, let's say it this way. The anointed sees people and seeks to better them, not promote themselves. The anointed person sees injustice and brings justice. The anointed, I say it this way, the world needs more of the anointed. There's a difference between, a between being a doctor with skill and a doctor who's aware of his anointing. Let me explain. Doctors with skill are awesome. But doctors who show up every day understanding that they are using their breath today to use their gift of healing to change the world, that's fundamentally different. Lawyers with skill or lawyers with skill, and we need them. But we need more anointed lawyers, people who use, who are aware when they show up with all those law credentials, they are aware that, hey, God gave me breath today, and I'm going to use it to help people who can't help themselves. That changes the world. Nurses, business owners, public servants. So, so how do we steward the anointing? What do you do to hallow the name. I think there's five things that we could do very practically. One, you steward the anointing by loving solitude. Getting away from the public opinion and invite God to examine your life. David was found in solitude. Jesus often retreated to solitude. In a world where social media informs everything, like, seriously, don't do this, it would be rude. But if you in Morayfield right now and you in Redcliffe right now, if everybody got their phones out right and you brought up your news feed or your Instagram post or whatever, how many seconds would it take before a Christian posted something that embarrassed you? It wouldn't take long at all. We cannot take our cues from public opinion only and expect to win. You just can't. Now, if you, if you go the opposite way and go, I don't care what anybody thinks, that makes you a sociopath. You've got to care what the people who love you think. But if you only care about what the public thinks, it leads us on a bad path. People who steward the anointing, they get to solitude. They, they, they squash the white noise of the voices from social media. They just do. 
And it's amazing what happens. Like when, when we start naming unskilled people, like I, I had a health problem almost two years ago now. I was hospitalized. I'll spare you the details. It was, it was daunting. I ended up, my head ended up in an MRI three different times, CT scans. It was just unbelievable. And well-meaning, I had to meet with these neurologists and, and well-meaning people were going, is the neurologist a Christian? I'm like, I wouldn't have a clue. I don't know that I want a Christian neurologist because I know a lot of Christians that are jerks and unintelligent. Just because someone's a Christian doesn't qualify to be a... Look, would you rather your neurologist had went to Bible school or medical school, right? But that just comes from, hey, if it's not on our team, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, people who steward their anointing step back and go, wait a minute, what's the best answer? Number two, we can steward the anointing by loving community. People who draw the best out of us. And we can be honest with them. Like, why is this so important? Why gathering like this? Why is this so important? Because it's only in a community of people that someone can challenge us and say, your breath is stronger than that. Your, hey, the power on your life has more potential than that. Or I want to encourage you because you're really maxing out your potential. All those things are important. But for a lot of us, we know, we know that we're not maxing out our potential. And it's only the people in our life that love us that can say, hold on, your breath has more power in it than that. You're not hallowing the name. And somebody has to be able to call that out. You can steward the anointing by loving solitude. You can steward the anointing by loving community. Number three, you can steward the anointing by intentional living. We've already talked about that. That your yes has to be clear. And the most mature yes and the most mature no's are the ones where the no is driven by the yes. Like it's not enough to just say no to things. The no has to be driven by some yes somewhere. N number three, we steward the anointing by prioritizing others. So, so, so how, how do we steward the anointing? Well, we love solitude, us and God getting a clear vision on what's going on, right? We also love community where people can call us out and say, wait a minute, I encourage you to use your breath better. We steward the anointing by intentional living. And we also steward the anointing by always using our power to uplift others instead of using our power to hold them down. That's changing the world. But last, we steward the anointing by habitually repenting. I started realizing that I had an internal angst around the word repentance. So I went to the Lord and I asked, why do you have internal angst? Why do I have internal angst around this word that's clearly a thing in Scripture? And clearly a thing in anyone that's walked healthily with God has made a pattern of repentance. And I realized that it's because of the images associated with the word. Um, when I was a kid, um, I went to, that's probably 13 or 14, I went to uh, revival camp. Right? It's something we did in America. And so they would bring in a revivalist, which let me just explain what they meant in the 80s and 90s by that. Someone that's going to make you so afraid and so feel like crap that they can get an altar call so that they can take photos and people keep supporting them because they got big altar calls. That's what it was, right? And this guy was no exception. And I'm an adult now, and I know him now, and I still think he's kind of a jerk, right? And here's what he did. This is unthinkable. It became my primary image of repentance. He took a baby doll and he put him, he put this baby doll on the end of these salad tongs, like are these uh, barbecue tongs, right? And he took a lighter and he set the baby doll on fire, right? And of course the baby doll's made of plastic, it's, right? And we're all horrified, you know, we're like looking away, it's just terrible, it stinks. And he's like, no, look at it, you look at it. 
This is what God's going to do to you if you don't get up here and repent. Jeez. And this isn't ending until you're all up here. Well, of course, we all came up here. He got to tell all of his supporters that he had a full altar call. It was just horrible. The whole scene was terrible. It stunk. You know, it was sloppy Joe Sunday. It's junior hires. Billy threw up. He called it a demon. No, it just stunk. It was hot. It's like, demon, no. Right. Now, for anybody in Morrifield or Redcliffe or in here that has that image of repentance, I want to redeem it. Okay? What's the problem with the revivalist in that story? What's the problem with his image of repentance? The problem is two things. One, it's shame-based. Two, it's fear of punishment-based. But three, where is God when you repent? In his story, God is standing above you demanding repentance so that he can be nice to you. But the story in the Bible is much more beautiful. I love, I love the book of Jonah where it says, I knew it. I knew you were a compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love God, a God who repents from evil. Here was the context. It says the Ninevites repented their evil. So God repented evil which leads to all kinds of questions, but I love the way the rabbis teach it. The rabbis teach it as divine mirroring. Essentially, it's this. If you're ever willing to go through the pain of changing your life and changing your mind and repenting, and you want to know where God is, he's never standing above you demanding it. If you look for where God is in that, he's the one kneeling beside you doing it with you. That changes the world. So how do you fulfill your potential? You acknowledge the anointing, that my power is not my own. You choose to honor the holy. I commit my life today to fulfilling the full possibilities and potentials that that gift of God's breath brings. And along the way, we're courageous enough to repent, knowing that God is kneeling right beside us instead of standing above us demanding it. So I'd like to lead us in a couple prayers in Morrifield and in, um, and in Redcliffe. I'd like, I'd like to lead you to pray. Only pray this prayer if the Holy Spirit moves you. There's no vacancy in the Trinity for me. The prayer goes something like this. Lord Jesus, let no one ever reject you because of how I'm presenting you. If you're willing to pray that prayer, why don't you just pray that prayer in Morrifield, Redcliffe, right here in Warner. Lord Jesus, let no one ever reject you because of how I'm presenting you. The second prayer is this. If you're willing to pray this prayer, why don't you just pray something like this. Holy Spirit, would you speak to me about where I'm wasting my breath? It's not about doing wrong things. Where am I not doing right things? If you're willing to pray something like that, why don't you just pray that. Holy Spirit, would you speak to me about where I'm wasting my breath? Where could I be doing more? Where could I hallow the name? Third prayer. Holy Spirit, where do I need to repent? And why don't we just pray this prayer in Warner, Morayfield, Redcliffe. Why don't we just ask God, God, I need to repent. Would you repent with me? Father God, we need to repent. Would you repent with us? Amen. In Morayfield, Redcliffe, um, I hope Jesus got bigger, the cross worked better, the resurrection is central and scriptures got bigger, not smaller. I hope that's been your experience. I urge you to fulfill your potential by acknowledging the anointing, honoring the holy, and committing to a lifestyle of repentance. At this point, I'm going to hand you back to your campus leader. But I would invite you again 
to come tonight at 5.30 and be a part and be in the room for what God's gonna do tonight. Grace and peace. And for everybody here in Warner, thank you for letting me be a part of your life. I hope Jesus got bigger, the cross worked better, the resurrection of central scriptures got bigger, not smaller. I encourage you to know there's more in your life than what you're experiencing. It's found in the anointing. It's found in honoring the holy. And it's found in committing to repentance. May we be those people who don't just live to go to heaven when we die, but we live to participate with the infinite possibilities Jesus has for us to change our world today. Until I see you guys tonight, grace and peace, everybody.